0: Welcome to EdView 360.
1: We talk about this summer slide. Now people are talking about the COVID slide. If you have a school that basically spent March to June doing nothing but repeating content they already addressed before, and now they're coming in to fall with an uncertain uh, plan for what's going to happen, they're going to be significantly worse off, and that's what worries me. I think the answer that I would give school leaders to prepare for the fall is pedagogy. 80 to 90% of the kinds of skills that are required in an online environment are things that teachers are doing already. When we have a chance to engage with teachers and we walk them through this process, they get done with, with this learning process about understanding the nuances of K-12 online blended instruction, and they, and they always say to me, they go, well, wait a minute, it's not that much different. It's not too late to start professional development towards quality pedagogy and online practice.
0: You just heard Dr. Rick Ferdig, a K through 12 blended learning and remote learning expert with over 20 years of experience. He is also the Summit Professor of Learning Technologies and Professor of Educational Technology at Kent State University. Dr. Ferdig is our guest today on EdView 360. Here's your host, Pam Austin.
2: This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the AdView 360 podcast series. We're so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast from my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager's Opus Learning in Dallas, Texas. Today, we are honored to have with us Dr. Rick Furtick, an educator with more than 20 years experience in blended learning. Welcome, Dr. Furtick. Thank you for joining us today. We're so pleased to have you with us. You just recorded a webinar with us yesterday. Tell us how that went.
1: Well, first, Pam, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a joy to be able to spend some time talking about blended and online learning. I was really excited about the webinar yesterday. I know that school leaders, teachers, staff have so many questions. Uh, going into this uncertain time. And so it was just such a joy to be able to spend time with them and uh, give them some advice and and tips and tricks. And specifically, based on things that we learned um, during the spring, great remote learning experiment. So it was really, really an enjoyable time.
2: So right up your alley. (laughs) So good to hear. Absolutely. Tell us a bit more about yourself and your journey to supporting virtual and blended instruction.
1: Yeah, I really I, I appreciate that question. And not because I like to talk about my past or my history, but because of the fact that it really tells the history of kind of what we know has worked or, or what um, what we've studied in K-12 online and blended instructions. So uh, I would say probably in the mid 90s, I started exploring, researching the impact of technology on teaching and learning, uh, focused on all the way from pre-K to post-secondary and even outside of uh, K-12 and post-secondary into medicine and and in uh, business and so forth. And that was about that time, 1995, 1996, that K-12 online and blended uh, schooling actually got its start. So 95, 96, some of the, the first virtual schools took hold. What was interesting is probably for the first 10 years or so, most of those schools were really closed off to uh, outside research. And if you go back kind of historically during that time, there was these big debates about, you know, public education education and whether or not we could have, uh, you know, schools, whether they be private schools or whether it be charter schools. And so there was there was a concern that if people kind of dug deep into these K-12 virtual schools, that somehow they would pull them apart and they would be unsuccessful. So it wasn't really until probably the mid 2000s that schools, virtual schools started opening themselves up to kind of being examined uh, so that we could study best practices. And so uh, I would say probably for the last 15 years, we've been kind of really digging deep into finding best practices towards K-12 online and uh, blended learning. And again, what's interesting about that journey is when COVID hit in the spring, I think there were a lot of people who just thought that, you know, they would even come out to me and go, hey, Rick, have you heard about this thing called K-12 online and blended instruction? And, you know, I just kind of had to laugh because for a lot of people, they did Mm -hmm. think it was new. Not having yeah. any real idea that it, it had been happening for, you know, 25 years and that we've been doing really intense research on it for the past 15 or 20 years.
2: It's, it's great to hear that you were, you were venturing in to know, to understand, to take a look at those best practices in K-12. I want to ask you another question. You know, in your opinion, what was the biggest challenge educators faced this past spring? in remote learning? Cause it, you know, as you said, it seems like a whole new thing. Um, how can school leaders learn from those experiences as well?
1: Yeah. So th- it was a real, well, actually I was just going to say it was a struggle to watch the spring, but let me, let me change that answer. Let me say that it was actually both a, a, a blessing and a curse to see what happened in the spring. And, and let me try to differentiate. So because K-12 online blended instruction has been going on for so long. There were a lot of schools that were well prepared for um, for COVID. So they may have taken a week or two off. Some didn't even have to take time off. And they were actually able to easily transition to a remote approach. They had spent time in preparation in a number of different ways. Uh, For instance, they made sure that they developed a culture of professional development and not just a one-time beginning of the school year kind of thing, but actually a sustained culture of ongoing, situated, and just-in-time professional development. The other thing they had done was they had looked at the research and they understood the kinds of competencies that teachers uh, and administrators needed to be successful in these environments. And... Maybe I don't know if I want to say most importantly, but they actually had had their teachers spend time in online learning as students so that they would understand what it was like to be uh, a teacher in those environments as well. So those schools did amazing and and actually didn't really miss that much of a beat. Then you had the other schools that really struggled. As a matter of fact, AIR just came out with a national report of public education and found that uh, 30 percent, particularly with um, uh, low SES or uh, high urban, high rural schools, actually spent that time between March and June essentially only covering or repeating the content that they had done the first part of the year. And the reason is, is they just weren't prepared for this. They had no training. They had no understanding. And so at, at, at one level, they either did nothing Or what they did is they tried so hard and so fast and so quick to try to buy into technology instead of understanding kind of the deeper pedagogical practices that went into that. And so to me, that preparation was the biggest challenge that they faced. I think what school leaders can learn from that is just the, the willingness to develop a culture of sustained professional development. And some people will look at me and go, okay, wait a minute. Today is, you know, uh, August 27. And so, you know, we're, we're stuck in a situation where schools in some cases have already started. It's obviously too late. And I say back to them, it's not too late. We have no idea what's going to happen this fall. We might have a cure tomorrow. We might have a vaccine tomorrow, or we might have a mass outbreak again, and we might be back for all schools being remote learning. It's not, too late to start professional development towards quality pedagogy and online practice.
2: Wow. Yeah, I could see what you mean by a blessing and a curse, because we've had some schools that have enhanced their culture, others who've changed the culture, and then others who were not aware of of what needed to be uh, supported in relation to virtual instruction. Uh, It's so great that we were able to shine the light on and understanding what works in a virtual environment. You know, as an educator whose specialty is remote learning, what's the biggest issue educators will face this fall?
1: I I get that question asked a lot. And it, it's a great question because people don't want to have the same repeat of spring. And there's a lot of answers that I would give that might be expected answers. So, for instance, the professional development is um, is something that uh, a challenge that they'll face. How do they better prepare teachers? Uh, People might talk about the technology and technology access, and we can come back and talk a little bit about equity. Those are all things that are important, but one I'm gonna throw out to, to listeners that I think is so incredibly important and so overlooked is this idea of teacher confidence. So teachers went through a really difficult time in the spring. Emotionally draining. Not only were they dealing with their own life situation, but they were also responsible for educating kids who were going through really challenging times, parents who were losing jobs and being in home situations where they may or may not have access. It was emotionally draining, and confidence was at an all time low. What we learned in the spring. Was that when teachers confidence was low and administrator confidence was low and you could tell this by the things that they would say, like, "Okay, we know this is a horrible situation. We know that online learning is is really bad. We know that you're not going to enjoy this. Well, guess what happened? We had really bad outcomes and, and teacher confidence was a big part of that. Conversely, where teachers had confidence. They would say things like, look, this is a new experience. We're going to get through this together. We're going to learn some new things. We're going to be able to do some things we didn't do before. This is going to be a a great learning opportunity. Well, then we had positive outcomes. So now going into to fall, you have this situation where teachers are already emotionally drained. You have this emotional uh, uh, problem of not knowing what's going to happen, which, again, is always takes a toll on people. And so how can we actually build that confidence? And I think the best way to do it and the way that leaders really school leaders really need to pay attention is helping teachers understand that it's not about the technology. Yes, we've studied on the online learning at the K-12 level. Yes, I can tell you that there are nuances to uh, the kinds of things that a teacher has to do online. But 80 to 90 percent of the kinds of skills that are required in an online environment are things that teachers are doing already student differentiation, assessment, classroom management. Now, again, I I get the fact that we do them differently in these online environments, but the reality is, is it's not that teachers are somehow learning not only a new technology, but a new skill. They already know how to do these things. They're already well-qualified teachers. And I think if administrators can build that confidence up, they're actually going to have, um, Uh, higher quality outcomes for both, uh, teachers and students. And, and if, you know, I always tell people this, you know, about the confidence they say, Oh, is it really that big of a problem? It is a Gallup poll was released on Monday that showed that, uh, public confidence in public education was 10 points lower than it was last year. And part of this is not only do teachers not have confidence, but students and are starting to lose confidence, which leads to worse outcomes. And the public is starting to lose confidence, which is not a good situation for our K-12 schools.
2: All right. I have to tell you, as an educator, uh, one of my worst lef- lessons was when I was not confident. what I was doing. So definitely I can uh, affirm what you're saying just from experience here. So you make a better situation for teachers, for students and parents when we use technology as a tool. Now, we're not done with you yet. I've got another question for you. (laughs) How can school administrators support educators as they prepare for online instruction in a remote learning environment?
1: Yeah, this is such a a great question because school leaders don't want to uh, leave their teachers unscripted. They really want to be able to support them, and I would give a I would say a couple things uh, are really going to help teachers. One is to support the professional development. I know I keep saying that, but the reality of it is is that when budgets get cut, uh, when when teachers uh, are already busy, this idea that they're going to spend time learning something new. Is something that often gets ignored. And the reality of it is, is part of building that confidence that we talked about is about feeling like you're prepared to do something. I think uh, a second tip is that, and this is a way that school leaders can really support their teachers, is to understand that even though our kids walk around, you know, with, you know, they use TikTok and they're always on Pinterest or they're, you know, Snapchatting their friends, we have this impression that they know how to use. Uh, technology for learning. And the answer is, the reality of it is, is they don't. And so providing orientations for students in best practices in remote instruction, and then doing the exact same thing for parents. Leaders can support this by providing, whether it be helplines, or whether it be orientation, or whether it be even some professional development for parents about how to best support their kids, can actually better support the teachers.
2: You know, as I was listening to you uh, discuss that very last point, I thought about the beginning of the school year, how teachers always have routines and procedures that they have in place so that students can understand. It's the same in a virtual environment. There are some routines and procedures, and there are some things that I need to teach you, and then having the parents aware of that as well. I've got another question for you. Um, what about those schools having in-person classes right now. We've started the school year there. Um, do you think many schools that started this way may switch to online learning later in the year? And if so, how do school leaders help educators quickly make that jump to remote learning?
1: Pam, one of the things that really concerns me about hearing Teachers or school leaders talk about the fall is they talk about going back to normal and they talk about if we could just get a cure, if we could just get a vaccine, we'll be able to all go back to normal. And the thing that really concerns me about that statement is that, you know, we've been asking teachers to use innovative tools and technologies to support their instruction for a long time, even if they're not online, even if they're not blended, even in a solely face to face environment to be able to use instructional technologies. And we know a lot of interesting things when teachers do use innovative technologies. So for instance, their communication is enhanced. Their ability to assess and differentiate instruction is enhanced. Their ability to provide meaningful and engaging experiences Are all enhanced. So we know that those things work well when teachers are willing to do those. In spring, when COVID hit, we got this great experiment where all of these teachers that were unwilling to use technology (laughs) were all of a sudden forced to use it. And so the concern about kind of going back to this normal, if you will, is this idea that all of that technology is going to go by the wayside. And I think what we want to do is we want school leaders to work with their staff to be able to capitalize on this interest that was peaked for remote uh, for remote instruction or at least technology enhanced instruction. So right now, if I'm a school leader in a face-to-face class, I don't know. I I mean, my hope, my wish, my prayer is that none of them have to go back to remote because of COVID. I pray it goes away. But what I'm doing right now, if I'm in a face-to-face classroom, is I'm preparing my leader or my staff that that may happen. And not only that may happen, but they need to be able to capitalize on those instructional technologies to be able to enhance their instruction. If they do that, then when the jump happens, if the jump happens to remote learning, it's not like they've gone from zero technology to all technology. It's that they're just shifting a little bit of their, of their approach. And again, you know, what, When we have have a chance to engage with teachers and we walk them through this process, they get done with with this learning process about, you know, understanding the nuances of K-12 online blended instruction. And they and they always say to me, they go, well, wait a minute, it's not that much different. And I say exactly, the pedagogy is the same. What we're trying to get you to do is use these different tools to be able to enhance your instruction. And I think face to face programs that get that and prepare educators for doing that will have a much easier jump to remote instruction. Uh, Lord forbid that we actually get forced to do that later in the year.
2: Hey, thank you, Rick. You know, some words jumped out at me as you were talking. Uh, capitalize on what you've learned about technology, right, Uh, enhance your instruction. Uh, The fact that the pedagogy doesn't change, but uh, the method that you deliver the instruction is what changes. Uh, Those are some powerful words and phrases there. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to ask you about students who may not have access to technology tools, you know, such as computers or iPads or the internet. We were having discussions about some students using an iPhone to access um, the, the work of using the tools that the teachers have available. What alternative methods or resources or suggestions do you have for ensuring that these students receive instruction?
1: This is a million dollar question, maybe a billion dollar question. It's the it's the equity question. And, you know, if there's any bad news or, or worse news out of covid when it came to education, it was that the equity issues were really uh, there was a spotlight on the differences between the haves and the have-nots i will say that if there was any good news out of that it was the fact that people had been talking about it researchers had been talking about the problem for a long time and there was finally enough evidence hopefully enough evidence for uh, politicians and school leaders to to start making some decisions and some uh, some strategic purchases uh, to be able to address some of the equity issues so I'd love to say that I have an easy answer for that question. What I will say is that there's a pedagogical relationship with equity. And so when COVID hit, there were a lot of schools that made decisions to deliver content in ways that encouraged uh uh, an equity issue. Uh, let me give you an example. There were schools that thought that they had to be in front of their kids six to seven hours a day. And so they would, you know, buy into zoom or Google hangouts or, or teams or whatever the product was. And they would actually force their students to be synchronous six to seven hours a day. Now there's so many pedagogical problems with what I just said, but let's just say you even went with that as a pedagogical strategy the problem is is you have no idea what the students have access to you have no idea you know the internet speed the device capability and uh, you end up with this situation where you're forcing students to do something you don't know they have access to, or another issue is that teachers would use products that weren't—they uh, were set for desktops or set for laptops, or they had such high graphics or they used such um, you know large videos that someone with low internet capability or someone with a smaller device. Couldn't get access to those things. So I would say, you know, the best advice we have is to really focus on the pedagogical perspectives and and understanding how that impacts your end user. Now, here's here's another tie to that. And this is something school leaders can do right now. School leaders need to work with their teachers to develop relationships with families. This happens typically, you know, kind of naturally, sometimes but for better, sometimes for worse. Uh, as teachers get to know kids and get to know uh, parents or caregivers. But again, unfortunately, as kids grow older, it happens less and less. When COVID hit, most schools were completely unprepared to understand or address what technologies or what Internet access their families had. And so what they need to do now, in, and again, it's not too late, is to spend time understanding if we have to go remote, what does that look like in my district? Who has devices? Who doesn't have devices? Uh, and then they can actually make pedagogical decisions uh, and strategic budget decisions for equitable issues, ec- equitable access based on what they know works and what they know people have in their district. And unfortunately, when spring hit with COVID, um, most districts were just unprepared to answer that question. I would love to say they learned from that, and coming around this fall, they know exactly what what they're facing. But sad to say, I've talked to some districts already that have they still have no idea what uh, people in their district have access to.
2: All right. Thank you, Rick. That was great. Um, I I do want to know what will be the impact of the very learning experiences students may have this year? Um, We we talk about equity just now and and we know those experiences will be varied across the country. What will the educational landscape look like after another year of remote learning?
1: You know, I, I'm nervous about this and I'll tell you why I'm nervous. Um, I've heard people talk about what does a gap year look like? What does it mean? You know, if if this year we're going to hit with, you know, COVID again and we're going to go to remote, we just need to stop right now and, and just cut our losses and just wait till we can go back to quote unquote normal. You keep hearing me use that word normal uh, as if there were such a thing. The problem with such a statement is that There are schools that uh, in the spring saw no real loss in what their students were doing, no real loss in uh, outcomes. Now, again, I'm not naive. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. Obviously, kids not being able to go to graduation because of COVID or have graduation parties. I, I understand there was an impact, but specifically when it came to learning, they knew enough about Uh, pedagogy and about online uh, and blended learning to be able to make progress. Unfortunately, some schools didn't. And so the answer to, you know, what's the impact of these varied learning experiences in some cases is going to be there almost none. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that you have a bunch of districts who were not using or not necessarily using technology enhanced instruction the right way who use the spring and summer to learn, and their content and content delivery is actually going to be stronger in the fall than it would have been before. Unfortunately, there's a lot of schools that that's not going to be the case, whether it be because of equity issues, whether it be because of a lack of preparation, whether it be because of uh, pedagogical differences within the district, or and again, that's tied to preparation as well. So I don't think there's one answer to the question. I think... The answer is that some schools are going to be uh, fine, maybe better than they would have been. And I think that there's obviously going to be schools that are are worse off. We, we talk about this summer slide. Now people are talking about the COVID slide. If you have a school that basically spent March to June doing nothing but repeating content they already addressed before, and now they're coming in to fall with an uncertain Uh, plan for what's going to happen, they're going to be significantly worse off. And that's what worries me. We've talked about the digital divide before. We've talked about, uh, you know, changes between the haves and have nots. The biggest thing we're going to see in a year or two is that that gap is going to significantly grow. And that scares me.
2: All right. So it's all about professional development for teachers, making a plan, moving forward with executing that plan as well. Hey, thank you. Thank you for that insight, Rick. Um, we are nearing the end of our podcast. If you could tell school leaders the most important thing to make sure educators have in order to prepare for this fall, what would it be?
1: The one word that I would give, which may surprise people, would not be technology. <laughs> um, I think that, again, there's so many school leaders that want to go buy the right tool to, to be successful this fall. And the reality is, is I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer that I would give school leaders to prepare for the fall is pedagogy, understanding, helping teachers understand how students learn, and then being able to apply those strategies to instruction. So for instance, uh, I'm an instructional designer by trade and training. And basically what that means is we help Uh, teachers design instruction in ways that it becomes accessible to students. And so if I ask really tough questions about the fall, like, well, what's the relationship between how much should be synchronous? In other words, how much should I actually spend through video conferencing? At the same time as the students online at the same time versus how much can be asynchronous, which means the students can do content on their own time, their own pace. Well, there's not really an easy answer to that unless I go back to the pedagogy and understand what the teacher is trying to do. And if I took a group of teachers and actually walked them through understanding how to design instruction based on those pedagogical practices, they would all of a sudden start to recognize that. There are times where I don't really need all of my students online. I could do something asynchronously. There are times that I could flip my content either for blended or even for online uh, instruction and face to face and make uh, recorded presentations that students can do that their own time. Then when I bring them all together again, face to face or online in a synchronous format, I'm making better use of my time. Uh, There are times where people are so caught up in having everyone there at the same time. And then when they realize that pedagogically they really need smaller focus groups, they realize it's okay to bring three or four students in at a time rather than trying to bring a whole group in. So the, the bottom line for preparing for fall is to really revisit Uh, pedagogical understanding of teachers so that regardless of whether they're online, face-to-face or blended, they understand what it is they're trying to do and what it is they're trying to accomplish. And then they can go to the technology and say, let's find the right technology to fit that, that purpose. So if I say to everyone, oh, we have this online whiteboard tool, everyone needs to use it. Well, why? What, what am I using it for? Versus if I say to, you know, as a teacher, hey, I really want to have a brainstorming activity. I really want to have a mind mapping activity. What could I do when I'm in small groups? What kind of tool could I use for mind mapping? Well, that's a much different kind of conversation. And that's what I felt was either missing in the, in the spring or what I felt high uh, performing schools during COVID did well. They helped teachers refocus on their pedagogical perspective.
2: Yeah. Excellent. So it's all about lesson design and what's good for students. All right. Got another question for you. How do you think this shift learning will change education in the future? We know what's happening now. What's your opinion on what will happen in the future?
1: I think there's two things that are likely to happen. One, and I mentioned this talking a little bit about the history of online instruction in the United States, at least. It faced a a long uh, uphill battle. People didn't see online learning as uh, legitimate. They didn't see it as useful. They didn't see it as completing the same objectives as face-to-face learning. They just thought that it was a step down Unfortunately, some people, because of failed experiments in the spring, will still see it that way. But I think that there are a lot more people globally who are starting to recognize that online learning is a legitimate opportunity. It's not for all kids all the time. And I don't think that all schools should go online permanently, regardless of what happens with COVID. But I think that people are now accepting that online instruction can be a legitimate, useful way to provide training or education for not only K-12, but also post-secondary and professional learning for that matter. So that's a real positive because that's something we've known for 15, 20 years from the research, but it's nice to see that being played out in the public space. That's my that's my guess at what would happen. Now, my hope is a little different. My hope is that teachers recognize that there is promise in technology enhanced instruction and that technology can provide some affordances that not using technology, uh, you wouldn't be able to do the same things. So, for instance, I might be able to take virtual tours of places that. Uh, I would never be able to bring students to Egypt, but I could do a virtual tour of the pyramids. Well, okay, there that sounds pretty rudimentary, but the fact is, is that there were a bunch of teachers out there that never did that until they were forced to do it in the great COVID you know, experiment of the spring 2020. So my hope is, is that this change in education will be one that will support uh, and appreciate the role of technology. Now, as a technologist, People probably expected me to give that answer. But believe it or not, I'm not one of those people that's technology for technology's sake. I think that there are specific uses for technology. And that's why I say it's not an, you know, we move from very little technology to all is technology. I think that we start appreciating the ways in which technology can and cannot be used to support instruction.
2: Kind of expanding the use of technology. um, Filling an educator's backpack with more tools to use. That's how I look at it. Well, Rick, this has been great. Uh, finally, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change and why?
1: So I'm going to give two answers to this question. Um, the first one is uh, what I would say a, a more pie in the sky answer that I don't I don't know how this gets solved, but if I really could uh, pray for one thing and have it changed, it's the equity issue. Uh, it breaks my heart to know that there are children out there that do not have access to things that are going to set the stage for what they do for the rest of their life. Um, as you know, as excited as I am to watch, high-performing schools provide students with high-quality content regardless of whether they're face-to-face or online. um, It breaks my heart to see that there are schools that can't do that, that there are kids that don't have access to those same things. If I could pray for one thing, that would be what it would would be to to make it so that kids had equitable access. Now, I hope that's obtainable. But let me tell you another one that I would that I would pray for that I think is maybe a little bit more obtainable in the near future is that all schools would take professional development, teacher professional development seriously. Um, we unfortunately are in a habit of, you know, teachers get a degree, they're required to do continuing education credits, but there's no real strong sense of who's doing what or why or how. And again, when budgets get cut, uh, then teachers become unscripted for the kinds of uh, challenges that they face, whether it be related to online learning or student differentiation or even the social and emotional aspects. And that's the one thing that got ignored during COVID is, you know, kids were going through all these difficult times. In some cases, these teachers were the only consistency they had in their lives. And so how do they deal with with, you know, social, emotional aspects during something as as difficult as COVID? Again, I think that's probably a little bit easier obtainable because the school leaders can start to take that more seriously.
2: Yes, I agree with you 100% on that one. Well, Rick, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and how they can follow you on social media.
1: Thanks so much, Pam. It's been a joy speaking with you. And again, anytime I get a chance to talk to school leaders or uh, teachers, I always just pause to thank them. Uh, I'm convinced that no one really understands what they do anyway and how much they do for our kids, let alone how much they've had to endure the past six months. So uh, just to listeners out there, thank you for the work that you've done and that you continue to do. Uh, I would encourage listeners to uh, you know, contact me and follow me. Uh, my website is uh, www.fertig.com, F-E-R-D-I-G.com. Uh, I post books there, free books, free resources that we've done, articles we've written. Uh, they can also find me at the Kent State website, kent.edu slash R-C-E-T. And then they can also follow me on Twitter at, at R-i-c-k-f-e-r-d-i-g. And I would encourage and look forward to engaging with your listeners.
2: All right. Thank you, Rick. This is Pam Austin bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you.
0: This has been an EdView 360 podcast produced by Voyager SoPress Learning. For additional thought-provoking discussions, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at VoyagersSopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.